Hi, and welcome to How to Ruin Dinner, Conversations from the University. This is your host, Mary Trays, and I have a lovely guest today, Andy Hammerstein. Um, Andy is a dear friend and an artist in New York City and in upstate New York, and he is going to talk to us about his work and his career and his family. Andy is... Um, Andy's great grandfather was Oscar Hammerstein, the the lyricist, um, and he comes from a long line of show business impresarios and directors and musicians, and um, he is a visual artist and has quite a lot to share with us. So I'm thrilled that Andy's agreed to speak to us today, and I think you'll love this conversation. Andy, um, shall we just yes, start? Yeah. Shall we just start? I feel like we've already started. Okay, I'm, good. Well, you know what I'm going to ask you to do? I'm going to ask you to introduce yourself and to talk about your you know, trajectory as an artist. And then... Well, I'm not as a local scissor sharpener, no. no. <laughs> then... Spay cats. Yeah. Sharpen scissors. Yeah. That would be good. Um, I have a lot of cats I could have spayed. Um, so, yeah. Well, my, my name is Oscar Andrew Hammerstein. I am a painter and sometimes writer and uh, sometimes public speaker. Uh, and I usually speak about theater history, mostly related to my grandfather. But most of my days are filled with just painting by myself. Yeah, in I your, live in extreme existence. In your in your studio in Nyack, is it in, in South Salem, New York? Oh, you're in your studios now in South Salem. Mm-hmm. Oh, look at you! Um, yeah. Well, you've been you've been painting a long time, so you must uh-huh. have a great definition of artist of what an artist is for us. Oh, the sad, misbegotten relic of this of the twentieth century. Um, do I have an idea of what it means to be an artist? I used to think I did, but things are changing faster than I am growing. So. Like it seems as if art now, well, it's always been heavily commodified, but now there's a certain kind of coldness and professionality to it that I don't feel a part of. But um, it's also a difficult business because the computer has made it possible to do so many pictures that it's like it, like uh, possibilities have flooded the market and it's crazy. It's it's more about selling your art than it is about making art. That's what Andy Warhol once said. He said the business of art is business. The the he said business is an art and art is a business. And he was right. Well, I'm surprised to hear you say that because you've been pursuing your art for so long and you've been painting for so long. I mean, it's I love it's, doing it. Yeah, that's why I do it. It's an addiction. It's no. It, it, you shouldn't be proud of it. I mean, I just have to do it. The question of what you do with what you've made afterwards, that's sort of changed in my lifetime over over time. The secondary part, the making it pay has always been a as the 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 sands have shifted there. Well, but it's okay. Well when I still you, love painting. And when you t- yeah, when you talk about Andy Warhol, the today seems to be the day for Andy's because Andy Rush is my producer here, so that that name just keeps coming up. But when you talk about Andy Warhol, I mean, he really seemed to make celebrity as much a part uh, or a feature of his artistic life. So that when you say, you know, business is art and art is business, for him, that seems really clear. But for it's, me- it gets worse than that, that, that quote. It, um, Art is business and business is art. Uh, I've lost my train of thought. But, um, um, what he did, what Andy Warhol did was, um, was he commodified it in a way that I'd never been done before. You, you, before him, one liked to think you were buying the art. And after him, you sort of felt like you were buying the artist. 
you're bar- buying some sort of talisman of the artist. Your your it being a successful purchase was all reliant upon the celebrityhood of the artist. Right. And there, there are too many, there are two kind, there are many different kinds of collectors, but mostly it just comes down to those who buy for investment purposes and those that buy because they don't know art, but they know what they like. And and I suppose that that second crowd is the people whom I make my friends. Right. Well, I mean, we see these celebrity um, influencers on on t- and and that's what Andy Warhol originated this idea yes. of making yourself the product and also your lifestyle and yeah. who you hung yes. out with and where you could be seen i don't i'm not yeah. i'm not willing to to dismiss that as art necessarily but that's certainly not the kind of artist that gets um, obsessed with the work, is it? No, or they are obsessed. No, it I mean, I don't mean to put it down. I, I I don't really know that much about it, but it's not what I think of when I think of art, right? And, yeah. And once business gets involved, then the you know uh, you, you are commodifying it, and something else is happening, and and maybe that's a stage of the art. The, the well, product. I mean, look at, but the. Look at, yeah. Well, what Sorry. I I'm kind of interested in is that process of being an artist, not ah. the art product, but the right. the the process of becoming an artist, and find I, I'm gonna bore everybody because I've <laughs> become obsessed with Ralph Waldo Emerson and his discussions around self reliance and nonconformity, and when I think about the artist yeah. in our society. Um, that nonconformity is really necessary in order to even pursue a life of an artist. I think you're right. I think you're right. I um, I don't think you learn very much from others as much as you learn from yourself. You have to be quiet and listen to what it is you like because because in painting. The, a big trap is to be painting for someone else. You know, I have someone else in mind that I'm painting this for, not for myself, but I I think they'll like this red, or I think they'll like this size, or I think they'll like this subject matter. Those are very big dangers to art, because as soon as you start trying to think of who it is you're painting for, you're not painting it for yourself anymore, and then you're lost then you're lost. And it's like, whether you're painting for someone in your head or whether you're painting a commission for someone else, you're still like fumbling about for what you think they like. And that's terrible. Uh, The best part about painting is painting precisely just for yourself, just so that you are happy with what you've done. Um, I, you know, the one thing about not being conformist is if you ask most artists, they'll say, what their favorite day is always Monday because it means that they can go back to being alone with their thoughts and solitary and thoughtful. Um, and then they, 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 you know, they like the work they do. That's why they like the Monday um, weekends are, are, are a chore for, for most artists because they have to spend time with their family and children and, <laughs> and- pay their bills and, Shit like that that you just don't want to do, and I mean you love them, of course, but <laughs> but you do love your Mondays. Well, how was that um, in college when you're learning your craft so and there are people telling you what's good and what's bad? How do you keep that inner voice from shrinking into um, you know conformity? Um. I th- well, for for one thing, the average art class doesn't exactly draw conformists to it, so that's always a good thing. Uh, art does tend to, I don't know, attract the odd ducks. If I'm any example of that, um, I, I don't know. I, I I think that you have to come in at with a with a certain amount of confidence in yourself and knowing that what you're doing is valid. And also the people who taught you in college, A, 
what they were teaching you is what they knew back then. And that's not the case. The, the, the world they were teaching in is gone. And, and they don't, they're not alive to see this new world. So in a way, art classes and art teaching is silly sometimes when I think about it. Like when I think about what I learned from my teachers in college, it was precious little. Most of what you learn as a painter, you learn through trial and error in your studio. It's not like you're given a, a how-to manual because everybody's doing different stuff. There's no how-to manual that really apply to all artists. You know, so it's, it's it, even the teaching is not conformist is what I guess I would say. Well, it, as you look for that building that skill, I, I would think school would be important for just learning how and having access to different materials and different techniques and that that skill would be useful in developing a voice. I, 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 I think you're right. It wasn't so much the case with me. I grew up during, I mean, I went to college during the 70s. And by that point, the art world had basically atomized into a million different pieces. I don't think that my teachers knew what the hell to teach to these students. The, the world in which they would go out into would be different. It, you know, I was taught by a bunch of colorists who had their day, day in the 50s. I was being taught this in the 70s. I don't know what value it actually has to me today except what I've earned through trial and error. I don't think that they really, they showed me that if you put red next to green, the green looks greener, but uh, really that's about it. Oh my God. Well, let's change a little bit. Go back sure. to, let's go back to Emerson. Um, well, I was good. Okay. well, I, I know your art. So I know you draw inspiration um, from nature and yes. I know you're out in nature a lot and so I has that been the source of not just your inspiration, but also your education about your voice? Do you know what I'm well, saying? The difference. The education about my voice is a self-education. And what I guess I am drawn most to is the process of seeing itself. So that what's it like to look at a fly? What's it like to look at a sunset? Not just trying to depict the sunset or the fly. But the experience of, of, of looking at both can sometimes be a lot more chaotic than you think. Well, I mean, we make order out of chaos, but my paintings can be a little chaotic in the, in the hope of recreating the kind of experienced view, um, a multiple image view, you might say. Um, I do work from nature. I am inspired by curvilinear shapes and circles and... Um, and rectangles and stuff. I, and I'm always like re putting them together in different ways. Uh, but yeah, I always want to make it seem like here's, here's something you should hear that some artists work like their painting was a window on a world and other artists work like their painting is a sculpture on a wall. And I have always been of the former crowd that, that I'm basically peeling the drapes aside so you can see out into this world I created. For me, the illusion, having to be realistic is based is necessary to create the illusion that you're going through the window and out, you're looking out into something. But a lot of artists don't even deal with that. They just deal with like, you know, dealing with the, with the object almost like as it was a three-dimensional thing, a thing to be hung, like a sculpture to be hung on a wall. Um, it, you don't have to go into it. You can just sort of stare right on the surface of it. That's not so much of what I like to do so much. Is that Though, you know, there are no hard and fast rules? Is that um, based in emotion or perception? And I don't even know exactly what I mean by that. But it is as you're talking about that when you look at the sunset and you see the circles and you see, you know, the bubbles that kind of form even on your eyelid. Is that what you're talking about? Yeah. That, that order? Yeah, I'm, I like that. In fact, that that particular experience at some points in my life has been an overwhelmingly emotional thing. And I don't know how to recapture that emotional 
quality to share with other people without somehow trying to recreate something of the experience of having been out there watching the sunset, which has more to do than just taking a snapshot of it. Right. You got to sort of like live in it. You got you to feel the buzzing gnats. You got to feel the heat on your neck. You got to feel the high, you got to even, you got to put the high grass in the picture. You got to be, it's got to go, your paintings got to go right to your feet. I want to see you in the picture. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I want that, I want that thing to be experienced, not as a camera, but as a human being. And that's difficult. Yeah. That's hit or miss. I don't, it really, I'm really still relying upon people bringing something to the viewing of the painting for that to happen. Okay. Andy, I'm going to interrupt us a second. Are you slamming your pencil on your on the table? I'm going to stop doing that. <laughs> There's a pack of matches. Oh, God. Uh, you throw the matches away. Um, because, Should I repeat? Well, at least we know what it was now, so that's kind of I'm sorry. That's kind of fun. Um, well, th- to get back to, to the conversation without our matches, without burning us down, um, that, that do you do you – are you interested in, as the artist, are you interested in what the um, what the viewer sees or feels? Or does that not, are you just projecting yourself and you never think about the artist? And I, I know you and I yesterday oh. when we were kind of um, talking about what we were going to talk about, you mentioned how um, enamored you are of of. Um, actors these days and I so as I was thinking about that it occurred to me that you know the actor has to be very concerned with his audience her audience do you have a concern for your audience do you care I mean I I know know. I I think I may have internalized that to some point Um, but uh, no, I don't really think about them. I mean, there's a, there's a statement that if you want to get to the universal, whether you're writing or acting or painting, get if you're if you're going after the if you want to be understood universally, delve into yourself, mm-hmm. go to the personal because if you can be honest in a personal way, that honesty is going to translate to other people. So if you're emotionally honest as a writer or a painter it's likely that the people who see or hear it are going to pick up on that. Now, as, as regards actors, the, what I'm always Im- impressed with them is that they have, they have more guts than brains. And you don't have to be smart to be an actor, but you need to be brave. You need to have a lot of courage. You've got to put yourself in somebody else's hands. You've got to be vulnerable. These are very interesting qualities to me. And, and I think art has some of those things too. You're you're alone on the stage, you know what I mean, and you have to. You, you, yes, you, you have to be true to yourself in order to sell it, no matter what. Yeah, and you have to have that level of trust that what you see and what it evokes in you is universal, and that yes. idea, the particular and the specific, the more specific, um, yeah. the more engaged the audience becomes. As they slip into sure. your eyes, as in some I mean, way, it's, it's one thing to say, you know, I I believe in this in a general way, and it's another thing to say, this is what has happened to me. Mm-hmm. So to go into the the general, I mean, no, to go into the specific is is much more powerful because people can go, oh, I can relate to that. It's not just a general pronunciation, you know, pronunciamento. It's it's a it, it's personal. Um, I, yeah. I I mean we're so old, Andy. Um, God knows <laughs> that we. I can remember when MTV came out and watching the first music videos. And oh yeah, really being bummed out that now that vision of yeah. the music was accompanying my uh, experience of it. And once you saw um, that video. The song could no longer be yours, right? It, that's a very it good. Was, that's an interesting point. You know, it was Michael Jackson's Thriller. It wasn't my Thriller. It was right. No, that's a good point. You couldn't. You couldn't get into it, and um, in some ways, I think um, you the the audience loses its 
participation if they know too much about the art or even, you know, yeah. and I remember in college taking poetry classes, especially about Walt Whitman. I, I'm thinking, <laughs> don't ruin this for me by telling me too much about Walt Whitman. I, I, I distinctly right, remember, right, but right. Like, I don't care about his his, you know, sex life. I don't care about where he grew up. I just want to read Leaves of Grass by myself. Leave me, right. <laughs> leave well, me alone. I get what alone. your point is. Yeah, well, they were saying that, 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 that the MTV kind of killed those artists that were ugly. Right. <laughs> There's no way to put it any other way. Like, all of a sudden, it isn't as if rock and roll had never been a visual medium before. I think that uh, that rock and roll was probably even then a primarily visual thing. When you go to concerts, you identify with the character, you know, with the with your rock star, pop star uh, people. But it just put the put the just put the knife in in people like Janis Joplin yeah. and people who are not attractive for or. Or people who are not going to, you know, um, conform Zappa, people who are just not going to be able to, or that's dead, aren't really going to be able to conform to the format because they didn't come to this trying to be pretty. They came to this with chops and that's different. So, yeah, I think it did kind of like, it did kind of ruin music, but at the same time, I think it was ripe for ruining. I'm, I'm not surprised that that happened, you know? There was always, there's always been this, um, rock and roll has always had uh, sex and youth being yes. its two main yes. uh, host, uh, hosts. So Yeah, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to look at the, these old rockers and. No, and, I know. <laughs> and not oh feel, God. I, I, I'm not going to say disgust, but because that would be ages well, to I, me, but woof. I was at some. Um, I'd like not as, to see so much. Also, that you know, youth is served. I, I was. I saw uh, at some songwriters thing. I saw Cat Stephen come up and sing to an audience, and they standing ovationed him for Moon Shadow and On the Peace Train. And I just remember as soon as he said, and you know, like he's probably seven years old now. He goes, "I'd I'd like to play something from my last album," and the stampede to the bathrooms. <laughs> <laughs> was 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 so painful to watch because no one cares because no one wants to screw the old Cat Stevens. They just want the guy on that album cover from forty years ago. Uh, well, the, uh, it speaks to the nostalgia of of music too, though, don't you think? And yes, uh, it that, does. That you Those go, old farts like us are still listening to Cat Stevens, right? Oh, and it just is so evocative, and that that. Maybe that's the moment of artistry, right? That ability to evoke. I mean, in that, in the case of music, we're talking about you're evoking a particular time in people's lives and in a particular feeling. Yes. Um, yes. But the, I do think that makes it art, right? That that power to evoke. And we're back to this. And maybe I'm stretching it too far, but the power to evoke the personal from, in this case, we're going from a kind of universal, the way music is presented universally to that particular experience. And it's. Oh, yeah. Of, it's, well, here's the funny part. I mean, like the difference between music, you know, a song in a musical and a song on a pop on a pop chart is that a pop chart. A song is like, I love you. And everybody who listens to someone say, I love you is going to think that they're the I. Yes. And the person they love is the you. So there's a shortcut for most of these pop songs. As soon as they start singing, you think it's about you, um, which is is perfect. If you're if you're doing a, a, a musical, though, it's, it's about that particular character. So there'll be more foibles. But pop music is not belabored with, you know, personality ticks and stuff. It's usually pretty straightforward. I want you so bad it's driving me mad. You know? Yes, yes. Well, since you brought up musicals, let's let's take a turn to your um, background oh, yeah. and, and your family and how that shaped. I mean, you don't come from a family of visual artists, 
but you do no. come from a family who were in show business, around artists, were art, you know, lyricists, um, poets, choreographers, choreographers who are artists in a different in different fields. Um, no. And maybe you can talk about how they shaped your own artistic sensibility. And gave you, oh, you know, the kind of I, I don't, permission. I don't know so much if I if they share a sensibility. What I do, I do like about that world, is that, well, when you're a painter, you paint alone for decades at a time, um, and you don't very often, if ever, collaborate. But if you're uh, in the theater, you're collaborating all the time. I mean, all 60 people have to get over that finish line for that show to go on. You know, it's not like it's up to me or not. I mean, there's a, there, there is that fraternity that I miss. And I suppose being somewhat involved in, in some theater things makes it possible for me to be able to work with other people, which I don't normally do. And I do enjoy it. I really do enjoy working with other people. It hasn't been a part of my life as a painter, but... I've made it a part of my life as a public speaker. And and do you think that then um, allows you to go back to being alone in the studio with a kind of new <laughs> <laughs> enthusiasm Well, or, or new voices I, in your head? I would think I, that I, alone I, part would be hard after a while to come up with anything new. It is, it is hard because with – Let's say doing collaborative work, you're you know you're trying to sell tickets at a venue at a spot to an audience. There's a in there there is a heavy super ego there that you know there's a greater world into which you are contributing. But when you get to your studio in the morning, you have no idea that whether what you do that day is A, going to amount to anything, B, ever going to sell, C, have any real redeeming value. You sort of are, uh, you're on your own, you know, you you, you really don't have um, backup. You can't rely on anybody. Do you put that I, question yeah. as, is this relevant? Just Do you just push that away? Is that really not something well, I you that can away. Be- I, I throw that away because yeah. that's your that's your critical mind talking you out of starting. Right. And you can't let that guy, you know, on another, another truism, the perfect is the enemy of the good. If you think you're going to start with something in mind, see, I don't want to paint like that. That's, that's part of my, the joy I get out of painting is that when I start something, I have no idea what it's going to look like. And that's thrilling because most people go, oh, he's going to recreate this image just like I'm seeing it. Wow, that was really close to what I'm seeing. There's a certain um, rules to whether it's good or not. But for me, I take a left turn and I stay going down the wrong road on purpose. I, I don't want to I don't want to know what it looks like when I'm done. So otherwise you, I wouldn't bother making it. Yeah, so you just I I just interviewed an artist who who when I asked her the question <laughs> of, you know, how do you see yourself as an artist? She really paused and she said, um, I, I don't see myself as an artist. I see myself as a maker. And I love Yeah, I agree with you. That was such a great way of thinking about it. Taking it took all the weight of you know expectation off of it for me that, that well when you spend be, time yeah i'm sorry no, well i was just going to say that that the art has to have this kind of beauty and meaning and uh power to it and if you when she said i i see myself as a maker all that kind of super ego i i guess to use your well, phrase, it does sort of fall off if you can, yeah. you know, just be out there making stuff, and that yeah, be well, sufficient. Well, look, with, look in, in in older cultures, and here we go, Mary. In older <laughs> cultures, um, it wasn't a defined occupation any more than anything else was. You you know, you fished, you hunted, you 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 got wood for the fire, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. We live in a capitalist culture, so there's an expectation that what you do with your time will pay off. So there's pressure on, you know, whereas back in probably more 
emotionally calibrated tribes, you know, you, you, everybody took, took their turn. So if you're being honest, really being a, an artist is something we should all be calling ourselves because it's not just making about making product for a, for a gallery. It's about being able to express yourself, being able to, to have fun with pain. You know, it's, it's, well, we're, it's, yeah, we are not in, in our culture. We are not encouraged in my experience to be creative. No. We are we are expected to be productive, and yes. we're supposed to commodify our work, our hours, our hours, and, and our time is to be is to be. Um, um, we are supposed to justify our time and um, and justify right. it through um, money in, in yes, most exactly. cases. And so, exactly. to be an artist in America. Um, seems to be a very difficult thing to square with the ethos. Of, <laughs> you know. It is. Well, we talked about it the other day. What do you? How, how do you value something that's equidistant between priceless and worthless? Right. <laughs> it's a concept idea. I mean, like, is 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 this canvas with all the paint on it worth two thousand mm-hmm. dollars? Is it worth two million or two hundred million? Is it worthless? Bloody hell! If I know, I don't know. You know, I mean, a, a, a Van Gogh is worth one hundred eighty million dollars. Um, that's got nothing to do with how good it is. It's lovely, but it's not like worth one hundred eighty million dollars. It's not worth, you know, one hundred eighty daycare centers opening up immediately. You know, this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, no, I, I, I mean, you, do, you know, there, there, we're back to the Andy Warhol. Th- idea that it's popular but it's expensive because it's popular yeah. and the experience of it is so papered over by the cultural expectation that you're going to love van gogh that you're not even sure if it's hard to make a judgment do i like this or have i been told yes. i like this do I like it 180 million like? <laughs> well, well, sure, <laughs> of course. Uh, but to go back to your thing that everybody should, your idea that everybody is an artist, I yeah. mentioned to you that the word uh, I'm a creative <laughs> has just, you know, I'm, I'm hearing that more and more. And I wonder if you can talk about, you know, that, that idea of people being creatives. And, and just to remind you what you said. Well, yeah. You went into a spiel. Not that you have to continue to hold this idea, but you went into yeah. a whole spiel about how um, that's a word um, that advertisers use. <laughs> Do you remember? Creative. What yeah. 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 I, I'm not sure what the what the context of that was. I'm trying to think. Um, well, I was asking you like to think about what is the difference between an artist and a creative. Well, a, a creative is an artist. To create, to create doesn't mean make you an artist, and 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 yeah, but but to be an artist means you do have to create. You do create something. Um, but people create all the time. People create a good meal. People create good friendships. People, there's a lot of cre- good creating going on in the world. It's not, you know, but but art is particularly. I don't know what art's purpose is, to be honest with you. <laughs> is it is it just for the wall? Is it there to make you think? It really depends on... You sort of have to decide who you're talking to in your head and, and try to keep honest about yourself. I don't know. When I don't I, know. When I think about the visual art, I have a lot of, you know, paintings and pictures hanging in my house. Um, yeah. And I, I, every time I look at them, I feel different things mm-hmm. but but they're very much a part of my environment that lifts me and without sounding too corny here but they do evoke a kind of feeling um every yeah. time although not the same feeling so for me the art is functioning to remind me of lots of of different uh, experiences Experiences and expressions uh, of. What's interesting about what you're describing here to me is that um, 
that you can only derive, one can only derive value if you give time to look at it. I'm thinking about your paintings in your house, and I'm also thinking of the television in your house yeah. and how the television bombards you with every 126th of a second, you're seeing another image, another image, another image. You're being bombarded, bombarded, bombarded. And you don't respect that experience. You don't, you don't call that art, even though there are tons and tons of images coming out of that. It's in fact, the speed at which you're looking that determines whether it's art, because you're looking at your work on your walls slowly. It's not, you're not like, you're not expecting to get entertained, get information out of it. You're, you, you can, you can look at it and regard it and have new thoughts each time, but you have to, you can't be overwhelmed by a million images. You have to have yeah. just a few images that you can focus on so you can give it some thought. Well, you it's know, living um, with that same image for years on end. Yes. Right. That is, I mean, because I'm not stopping in front of the painting of the dead tree floating. Um, I'm not stopping there like in a museum and contemplating it. But every no. day I see it You're for years it. and it's it becomes a part of who you are, right, in some way yeah. that that makes that creative thing that created thing in some sense alive right and and that is really the distinctive quality of visual arts that i find myself just amazed by frankly that this yeah. thing is so much more than the canvas and the paint and the even the superficial kind of beauty of it but will will it retain its its power if it's overused? As I feel like our culture overuses images all the time now, and I would like you think back to what it was like, must have been like in the eighteen sixties or fifties before photography, and that painting painters were painting the things around them. <coughs> they really weren't competing with anybody else. People went to museums and salons and they looked at this stuff and they gave it a lot of time but it wasn't like competing with radio or tv or movies or plays you know it was it was um it had the feel to itself and i wonder now whether art has the kind of meaning it used to have i don't think it does i think that i think that everyone everything and nothing can be called art at this point Okay, well, That's awful, isn't it? well, I don't know. Maybe it could be. Maybe it could maybe. be good if, if with that came a kind of recognition of the thing as having meaning, recognition of whatever that yeah. is as having um, an experiential component to it, so that it could, t if it taught us to really see things, if it did. If it did that, then I would say it's great that everything. It is great. It could. If be it does great. that, that's a tall order, though. That's a very tall order. Because, that is a tall order, especially because, you know, you're competing with, the, with so much. Yeah, and the ephemeral nature of so much of what we look at. <clears throat> okay, since we're talking about this, could you explain NFTs for me? Because I'm lost on the. I, I don't really understand what they are or how they I, qualify as art, or is it the ultimate commodification of art? Or it's a scam. It's a, it's a commodification of art. Uh, it, basically, uh, but I don't even know how you, why are they called art? What, what part uh, of NFT? I mean, art is enough of an NFT to begin with. I mean, it, if you're to tell me that I'm going to buy a JPEG from you for $20,000, what's that JPEG of? Oh, is it, is it about, is it, a, is it a map of Australia? Well, can I have the map of Australia then? I mean, why am I looking for an NFT? Aren't I looking for a painting? Can't I own the object for $20,000? Can I, you know, like, I don't quite understand how, you're just you're you're just making something on your computer and then selling the copyright of it to some poor fool who is it, who thinks he's hip. I, I don't get it. I'm, oh, you're okay. talking to the wrong so, person. So you don't get it either. I mean, it seems no. to me in some way it's the ultimate. Um, the king has no <clears throat> clothes. 
right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I talked to a guy who, you wouldn't believe this, but he's made millions of dollars from it. And what he's done is he's he's gotten teams of artists to just make image after image after image after image, <laughs> but with an eye towards the tech sector to the San Francisco techie crowd, because they know that those insecure nerds are the ones who are going to be buying into this. So they're catering to it. So they're catering to an audience that is, I don't know. Um, so is it just vulnerable a, to being flattered? Is it just a cryptocurrency in effect? Yes, it is exactly that. Art is a cryptocurrency between that, you know, what's, what's the asset backing it? Nothing. Some paint and a canvas behind there. No, it, it, again, back to priceless versus worthless. You know, it's it depends. It's just what we agree on. Well, art, that part of the the art business is been swamped with the business <clears throat> yes. component. It seems to me. Um, yes. Along those lines, um, what about forgeries? And and the art world has <laughs> been full of forgeries, um, but you think of the skill to to oh. recreate in and uh, to to have to make the canvas and the paint. Look, th this is perfect proof that you are buying the artist, not the art. Mm -hmm. In today's world, you are buying the artist. If I painted a painting that looks exactly like Vincent Van Gogh. It's worth nothing. But this event goes is worth $180 million. This really insults the intelligence of people. And they don't like having their intelligence uh, insulted. That you that you have a painting that fits perfectly in this oeuvre of somebody famous, but isn't it's actually a forgery. Well, you thought it was real. You're the fool. You're the fool who thought it was real. You're the person who paid $180 million in the first place to make this thing valuable, to make this. I, I think it's funny what what forgeries have done to the market because they pricked the 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 ego of the buyers and the sellers uh, and sort of made fun of the whole value of art. Right. I, 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 right. I, I used to do some forgeries as well, uh, you know, for commissions, not to try to fool anybody. Um, hold on a second. Sorry. No problem. So, yeah. So that it really is, it's on the, it's on the buyer. It is, it is on the buyer. And I, um, and, and I and they look, so oh, you, you buy it, you go, this is so beautiful. I've got a Van Gogh. You have two parts to this. It's so beautiful. Indeed, it is. I've got a Van Gogh is the salient part. It means I spent $180 million. It means that I'm a very important person. Yeah. And for them to find out that it's a, it's a forgery means that they've been made a fool of in a world where they were counting upon art to, to you know, to burnish their standing in society you know it's an insult well um just taking another turn but um i think it's, it's sort of in the same vein in that it has um put the the viewers <laughs> ego on display and uh, recently mm -hmm. um jennifer your lovely wife and i went to greece and we got to see all the the amazing Greek statues, and then we got home, and the the Met in New York was displaying the painted statues. Um, and yes, I don't know if you've had an opportunity to see them, but no. What was? But I I know what you I know what I know where this is going. Yeah. yeah. What was What was incredible to me <laughs> is all that classical beauty. Um, and all the sort of high-minded um, rhetoric around Greek <laughs> statues and and the purity of the medium and all no. you know the marble, and then to see it painted in these very gaudy colors and um, lifelike renderings 
with yes. blood on them and hair follicles and you know the 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 tall sculpture changes in your mind <laughs> from this you know oh i know well, esoteric see, and aesthetic beauty to this you know for art for the masses and this is going to be way up on the building you got to see it you got to have these bright colors it was really a shift again a kind of ego shift um on oh, yeah. the, for the viewer very much so what we didn't know when they were making all these uh, um um sculptures is that they're basically they're kind of like making three-dimensional erotica they're they're recreating the world flesh color and all yeah. Um, it's very funny. I mean, we 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 had such high-minded ideals, but based upon what? That the that we prefer our statues clean and marble white. I bet you it'd be it was probably be a lot more fun to see them all painted. I mean, I weird. I mean, yeah, for weird. us, only because we already have in our mind a, a kind of understanding of their grandeur. And really, they're almost like neon lights going off it, when you see those, how brightly colored they were. And to imagine entire scenes of the gods up on the buildings in bright blues and yellows and, you know, green. <coughs> yes. and it, it, it was just startling. And it reminds me of this, what we've been talking about I guess you know art has always been for the hoi polloi, not not for the grandees. Um, and, That's true. And we've You've kind got of, a point there. We've kind of pushed that away, right? That idea that it's just yeah. for the common person. It's like the, you know, the the idea that cartoons are only for children. Yes. Yes. No. You have a you have a point. Um, well, I mean, the history of art is interesting because uh, you're right. It was always for the hoi polloi. Um, and then there was this little break in the 19th century when factories were able to make mass-produced colors um, in, in artificial ways that were more that were more bright than the colors that had been previously used. I mean, a lot of the, the history of painting goes goes right to the value of the paint being used. The ways in which we look at classical art is we think of it in a certain way, like a Michelangelo-like way. Mm -hmm. But in reality, reds and blues were so expensive that they learned how to paint around them and then only use them as very, very, you know, very carefully because it was so expensive. Then the 19th century came along and all colors became like all of a sudden you 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 created a world uh, economic world in which the impressionists could could flourish because all of a sudden bright colors were available to everybody and not everybody's going to stay in the lines. And so in a way, technology and and economics have affected art a lot. But we're back to the point where only rich people can can, you know. An artist can only survive by catering to the wealthy now. It's difficult to, or, or cater to the masses in some way, like advertising or music or something. Yeah, there don't um, seem to be these big projects. You talking about Michelangelo, you know, yeah. there's not, it doesn't seem to be these no big projects to support frescoes on the walls and bright no. colors. And, no, that's all um, done. Yeah, that and and maybe we as a culture need to get back to thinking about where to include art um, in order to establish uh, a uh, not conformity. I don't mean that, but in order to establish a sense of shared. Um, I, I'm even reluctant to say values, but no values kind of the word. Okay. I think in some ways that's missing. I'm sitting here at the University of North Florida, and I, I, sorry to say, I don't think the buildings themselves, the architecture is, is particularly interesting, but what right. is spectacular here are the gardens, and the gardens in every little, 
Every little spot that can be gardened has been gardened, and there's a bamboo garden, and there's a a coastal garden, and there's a rose garden, and I I think of the way the the beauty of the landscape and the landscape mm-hmm. art allows us as a community to have this shared experience of beauty and distinctiveness yes. that is really powerful. I mean, it, well, that, it transforms yeah. your experience of this campus. And as you walk in and out of the buildings, um, you have just come from, right, the smell of the roses or the blooming of the trees. And, and how I, for me, that seems to be an incredibly uplifting and valuable part of the university experience here. And that that's a, a way art can function in communal life that has a value we don't talk about very much. Yes, I get your point. I mean, I, I don't know where the future of art goes, but I think it's not where I am. I think it gets more in terms of um, um, serving communities and solving larger problems. And, and art can become a political tool to... Uh, to show the effects of climate change and the effects of income inequality and all these things. And I have a feeling that for art to remain relevant, it's got to give up that I quality and go more towards a we quality that's going to be embraced because it is an arcane form of expression. And if it doesn't find some way to plug into the problems of today, to the way things really are today, then it's going to stay arcane and, and eclectic and not really having a point. So I think people who take photographs from the air of, of waste sites or people who design parks for public use, these are pretty much the artists, I think, of the future. I think they're going to put their creativity to solving problems, not making paintings. Um, I think where I grew up in the 70s, I'd, I may, I don't know. I, I, I think that the world that I'm living in or that I grew up in is changing. And I, I'm not sure I'm changing with it so much. There are a lot of good artists out there who are addressing these problems that, that deserve some notoriety and some recognition. And support. I mean, yeah. that, that's and I, because that's what are you going to support now? You want a yeah. rich pope to, to 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 do one Michelangelo, or do you want some corporation to make a their park more feng shui, which is, I think, a you know, a genuinely important thing to do. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, well, that's a good place for us to end, Andy. Um, we're about an hour into our conversation. Okay, we went everywhere there, Marvin. We I think we, we've got to do this all uh, do this on other subjects. We did go all <laughs> over the place. Thank you so much for talking. You're welcome. With me. Thanks for having me. And now I'm going to make eggplant parmesan for my family. God, I wish I were there. All right, kisses to everyone. All right, you too. To Peter too. Bye bye. Bye. <laughs>